Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Personality assessments are all the rage today. You can find all sorts of quizzes online that will tell you which character in your favorite novel you're most like. They'll tell you who your spirit animal is, what color you are. Other times, they're more scientific and give you a really clear picture of who you are from a more objective viewpoint. But here's a question for you. What if there were a tool that could help you do more than just understand yourself? What if there were a tool that could help you understand how to serve other people and contribute to the world, really get clear on how you can most effectively make a difference where you are in your current life situation. Because that changes from time to time. You change, the people around you change, and sometimes that changes the contribution you're able to make and the thing that will fulfill you in that context. The good news is that our guest today has come up with a tool that can help you do just that. Find out how you can contribute to the world. And our guest is none other than Tom Rath, who is an author and researcher who's spent the past two decades studying how work can improve human health and well-being. He's written 10 books, and he's sold 10 million copies of these books that have made hundreds of appearances on global bestseller lists. He was the program leader for the development of Clifton Strengths Finder, which has helped millions uncover their talents. And his book, Strengths Finder 2.0, is Amazon's top-selling nonfiction book, get this, of all time. Today's interview focuses on Tom's newest book, Life's Great Question, which focuses on how you can use your individual style to contribute to teams and the lives of others, and how you can find the energy to be your best. Here is Tom Rath. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's great to be with you. So I like to start off every interview with a few questions to help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Absolutely. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? You know, the one that's been on the front of my mind for the last couple of years is uh, maybe my favorite quote of all time from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, uh, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And what I've learned from that is, you know, it may sound like a big picture existential question that you see go around on social media on MLK Day or something, but I've actually used that question every single morning to anchor how I spend my time and my efforts, and it's been pretty helpful in that regard. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A teacher, a listener, and an observer. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think the one question more and more leaders need to ask is, how can they wake up each day and ensure that they have the energy they need to be their best for other people? 
What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? You know, there's there's one uh, coming out of the next couple of months that I've just had a chance to read called No Time for Spectators by the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Marty Dempsey. And I've, I've been involved in helping him with that project. And I think it's a great call to action for a lot of us who um, it's it's quite a bit easier to sit back as an observer on the sidelines now. And I think that's an important call to action. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I would challenge them to direct as much of their time in a given day, just on, even on a percentage basis, on focusing their energy on the development of another person and how they can help that person to maybe see something they haven't noticed and build on that over time. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? You know, I don't know what's better for people in general, but um, I've I've just grown up as kind of a curious researcher, and I, I run around asking uh, why all the time and trying to figure out how things work and what makes people tick. Well, Tom, we are here today to talk about your newest book, Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World. And I want to get into some of the new things you're providing with this book. But you also just came out with a book right before that called It's Not About You, A Brief Autobiographical Guide to a Meaningful Life. Could you share with us a little bit about how those two books are connected? It was kind of an interesting backstory as we were getting ready to publish the book Life's Great Question. Um, a team at Amazon Original Stories uh, came to us and said, you know, we've observed that obviously Amazon has sold a lot of business books that I've written over the years. And they said, but we don't see as many people reading your work who are exclusive Kindle readers. And Kindles usually uh, tended to be more narrative fiction type reads versus the uh, kind of programmatic application oriented business nonfiction. And so they asked me if we could just do a pure story-based version that was just my own personal background and story in order to uh, see if that would resonate with a group of readers who we normally don't reach. And it's been amazing to see how well that's uh, worked out over the last couple of months and really resonated with people in a way that uh, I wasn't expecting and uh, sure wasn't used to writing in a way where it's talking about my own story and taking out all of the research and application and the things that I've uh, kind of done most over the years. So that's that's been a fun project. And in Life's Great Question, you delve into that story a little bit as well. Was it strange going into the more personal side of things? Or what was the development that got you to that point? Because a lot of people know you for StrengthsFinder 2.0, and it keeps away from the personal. Is, is it strange to delve into that part of your story or... Is this something that you've been comfortable with talking about for a while? You know, it's taken quite a bit of time. I'm in the span of decades almost for me to get to the point where I'm more comfortable sharing that. I I think when I started off my career, I would have preferred to go all the way through my career without sharing any of that detail and didn't think it was necessary or didn't want it to be part of my identity, to be honest. Um, But the more I got into it and I with the first book I wrote with my grandfather in his final months of life, How Full Is Your Bucket? That kind of put me over the fire to say I need to be real personal and share a little bit about that. And I've shared more and more as time's gone by around that. And I've learned, 
I think a good lesson in that project that we did with Amazon Original Stories, where sometimes if you can just put all of that out there, there there's a huge group of the public in general who greatly prefers to read just pure story-based narrative um, instead of the more prescriptive application-oriented material. And I think that in the future, the trend is only going to move in that direction. So I, my hunch is that all of us, especially people in leadership roles, are going to have to get more and more comfortable with being vulnerable, sharing their own personal examples, and helping people to learn from those stories. And so even if it creates discomfort like it does for me, I think we've all got to push ourselves to do more of it. So I'm hoping that after this interview, there'll be a lot of people who will go out and buy either one or both of these books. But could you give us a little bit of background and understanding of how these books came to be and, and how they add to a lot of the writings that you've already done? Yeah, the you know, the first the first and kind of main project, the Life's Great Question book and the uh, Contribify website that's integrated with that so people can essentially build a profile of who they are and why they do what they do and how they think they can contribute to the world. That that project came about because, you know, as much as I've studied personality and well-being and what boosts organizational success over time, it it seems to me that from an individual development standpoint, we've spent a lot of time looking inward at ourselves and trying to develop our own passions and our personality, but we haven't spent as much time very clearly mapping out what the world around us needs and how we can line up who we are with what the world needs. And so the main uh, thought behind that conversation was how can we very clinically look at what are the contributions that people make in the labor market today and what are the contributions people make to a team and how can we help people to start with what others need instead of starting with their own passions essentially because if as much as it sounds good to say just go out and follow your passion and do what you want if what you enjoy doing doesn't really serve another person's need i would argue it doesn't do that much good for society so trying to get people's daily efforts more anchored on the contribution they make to another human being, kind of going back to that Dr. King quote that we started off with. So when it comes to this idea of serving people, is this something that has been an evolution in your thought or just really realizing that this is something that is not addressed as much as it needs to be and we need to begin this conversation to get people thinking more this way together? It's been an evolution of kind of thought and observation for me and that I, I know we've kind of touched on the fact that my background, my personal background and story is that uh, I was diagnosed with a real rare disorder when I was 16 years old that uh, lost all vision in an eye to several large tumors. Doctors told me that I would battle cancer in my kidneys, pancreas, spine, a host of areas over whatever lifespan I might live. They thought it might be about 35 to 40 years back then. Um, and so I've from that time forward, I've had a real sense of urgency about trying to do as much as I can in a short period of time. And I think maybe midway through that continuum, I realized that if I really wanted to make a contribution to the people I care about, my community and the world that could continue to grow even in my absence and eventually when I'm gone, that I needed to focus time every day on things that served other people and could continue to grow in my absence. And so I learned a lot about contribution through that lens personally. And then 
you know, over the last five or 10 years, I realized that so many of the books and development programs and assessments and kind of everything I see out there, it's all focused inward to some degree where, Mm. um, and and a a lot of that's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with self-awareness. And I think your natural talents and your strengths are the best place to start, but we've got to help people to quickly make the translationary piece and say, okay, here's who I am. And here's how I think that can help serve the world. Because if you don't make that leap, our days are just, if you don't focus your efforts on other people, our days are more stressful when we look inward, they're less fulfilling, and we get less done. So I think one key to energizing our work, which right now the typical relationship that a person have with their has with their work is just flat out broken. And my hunch is that if you were to say, how can you and I and your listeners really add to the collective well-being of society over the next 10 or 20 years, one quick way to do that, and maybe the best way, is to help people to have a better experience at work. Because right now we spend a majority of our waking time doing paid work, and on average, it's pretty lousy. So I know you're not going to feel comfortable giving professional advice to people when you don't know their situations, but when I hear you talking about that and people's relationship with work is not really great most of the time, when it comes to, we're going to begin talking about some of these 12 contributions in just a second, but when people are thinking about how they can contribute to the world and how they can do that best, does that often mean changing jobs and changing settings? Or is this something that can be tweaked in the context of work that people already have? In most cases, it's the latter, where I I, I think too often, and this is happening more frequently now, people give up on a job or start to look around at some of their earliest moments of frustration when in reality, in most cases, it is possible to take the job that you have and over time, structure it into something that you do maybe love eventually and that's at least more meaningful along the way. And uh, I think a part of that is if you if you really step back and look at the arc of a career, I've never interviewed or met anyone who just fell out of college into the perfect job and had a nice linear pattern of growth mm. and success <laughs> over time. We all, I mean, it's, it's hit or miss when we're entering the work world. We usually end up in a job because of social expectations or what our parents did or chance. And so the odds of that first job being the ideal one are really low to start with. And maybe you make a little bit of progress there after a few years, you go do something else and you get a spike upward and then you go downhill for a few years. But it's a very spiky and rough pattern over time when you look at a trajectory of a career. And so that's why we need to have a little bit more patience with saying, how can I take what's expected of me in this job and look at how I can maybe do the job very differently than what other people have done traditionally so that it fits who I am as long as I get these outcomes done. And I think there are a lot of people I've spoken with over the last five, 10 years who um, just haven't had a real open conversation with their manager or whoever they look to for leadership in a job to say, how can I do this very differently and uniquely based on who I am and have the right people around me to do some of the other pieces and to fill that in? And so that was one of my hopes with this Contribify tool that goes with the book that you mentioned is that people can just use it as an expectation setting exercise when they're joining new teams, when they're starting new jobs or with their existing team so that everyone can move forward 
in a more complimentary and smoother manner based on who they are and how they think they can best contribute to a team. And listeners, if you were a fan of StrengthsFinder 2.0 and you like the assessment that came with that book, this new book has an assessment as well, and I think you will find it valuable. Tom, I would love for you to share a little bit about these 12 contributions. You divide them into three different categories, create, relate, and operate. Could you talk about these a little bit at a a large-scale view? And then maybe if you think it's important, delve down into those three categories a little bit as well. Yeah, and just to start at an even a bit higher level, um, the people who buy the book Life's Great Question have access to uh, a code that gives them access to a website where they can register and go through and continue to build and add to this profile an unlimited number of times. And this inventory they go through asks them questions about what are the big roles you play in life? So for me, that's being a dad and a writer and a researcher. And what are the miles or most influential life experiences that have shaped who you are and why you do what you do. And then it asks them about how they would describe their strengths in their own words. And then the piece you were just describing, it takes each person through a series of about 50 questions where they're asked to prioritize how they want to contribute given the team that they're on or the work situation they're thinking about at the moment. And once they go through all of those questions, it helps them to prioritize where they can optimally contribute in those areas of, you talked about the the first kind of big bucket that a team needs a person to contribute in is uh, what are we creating? What's the product or service that where someone can contribute in that area? And then uh, how can we build these relationships with one another that I think every team really needs those three things. So it's create and relate to one another and then operate or get things done, and how can we make sure that, you know, even if it's not the first thing that jumps out or resonates for you when you join a team, you got to make sure you're essentially covering those bases for any group or team that you're a part of. And I got to those categories by starting with all of the job descriptions that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has, and I tried to narrow down to um, what are the central contributions that people do in almost any workplace And then what are the key elements that each team needs? So my hope initially is that people use that as kind of a more personal version of a resume to describe themselves. Because right now, if we sit around on a new team and we just look at people's LinkedIn profile or their resume or a job description, it essentially is devoid of all the humanity and the discussion about why we do what we do and how we want to have that meaningful influence on the world. So My hope is that this gives people a little bit of language to talk about how they can optimally contribute. Now, there are 12 total contributions that you talk about. This is a podcast for leaders, and you just talked about how this can be important for a team and understanding how people want to contribute. How much should an assessment like this play into people's thinking, leaders' thinking, whenever they're thinking about how to form a team and put people in different positions? Yeah, I think that's really the crux of the challenge I see today is that when leaders pull teams together right now, I think the default is to get people who have, in many cases, similar personalities. They have common interests because they're passionate about the same thing. And you get everyone together and you say, okay, let's all get wound up about this. And um, here's something we agree on and we want to work on. And everyone just starts charging down the track. And it takes three, six, nine, sometimes it takes 
months. It takes sometimes a year before the team comes back together and they realize that, you know what, we were all kind of doing the same thing because we didn't sit around and say, here's what each person can do in more of a complementary way in different areas to ensure that we're accomplishing the goals that the people we serve need to have met. And so that's where, and just as a quick example, I've used this with teams I've been a part of over the last year or so here. And, you know, I often am guilty of that myself. And I bring together people who love to create things and talk about ideas like I do. And um, we all get together and we're excited about something like that. And then after a while, we realize, well, no one was helping us to communicate regularly and pull the relationships together and energize our daily efforts. And we weren't really operating or executing or getting things done. And so even though I would rather spend time just creating things if I had my own, by my own volition, I've realized that I need to fill in some gaps in the relationship pieces and I need to help with the scaling, which is an element in the operational piece that I know I can do well when I need to. And so as long as a team is at least thinking about those central elements, it usually leads to more uh, cohesive and productive application. Would you say that it's important for all 12 of these contributions to be covered inside of a team? Or would you say that there are some that are vital and necessary and others are nice to have, but it may not be entirely vital for each team to have all of the 12 contributions? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, that's why I tried to narrow down even more to those three team functions of create mm -hmm. and relate and operate, because I think on, and it's hard for me to even come up with a scenario where you don't need one of those three. So I think you do need someone, you need people filling in the responsibilities in each of those three big buckets. And in terms of the 12 more specific contributions, like initiating or energizing or uh, organizing, which are within those other ones, those you, you don't need to necessarily worry about covering all 12 bases. That's where people can fill in their own detail about how they uniquely contribute in some of those areas. But as a team grows in size and scope of responsibility, you do want to start to fill in more of the detail within those three big buckets. Are there any contributions that don't seem to work well together or are all of these complementary? I think they're relatively complementary when you're talking about a lot of this is really about delegation of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, I think it's important to point out that it's it's very different from an, I, I call it an inventory because it's different from an assessment and it's different from something that's trying to look at your personality, for example, where this is more of an activity in expectations and prioritization. So anytime you join a new team, you can go in and update these items and say, given who I am, who else is on this team, and what we need to do. Here's how I think I can uniquely contribute to this given effort, and we can have clear expectations about what each person is supposed to do moving forward. You know, it sounds so basic, but I'm amazed by how many teams get together and hit the ground running, and they fail to have a really good conversation where you get to know one another and why people do what they do and why they're passionate about their work, and they fail to have clear expectations about who's supposed to do what. Hmm. And I mean, if, if new teams could just do those two things and leaders could ensure that's happening, I think that would lead to more progress than you, you'd think on the surface. Now, you said something a few minutes ago about the profiles that people can create on Contribify.com. And I'm wondering, are you able to change, you, you mentioned the different positions 
in life, you know, maybe a, a father or a leader or any other number of things. And, and these are, are fill in the blank. So it's not a, a pre-selected number of options that you have. But are you able to change those over time? And if so, does that change how people want to contribute to the world or how they see themselves contributing to the world? Yes, I think I think it does change and I think it should change as frequently as someone uh, wants to or can reevaluate that because the I mean the, the hope for me is that uh, over time people see that as a way to build a more personal and meaningful and actionable uh, baseball card or snapshot of who they are that they can use in a variety of contexts and so that should kind of update as your life does and eventually I would hope that we could build better mechanisms for aligning people with the right work inside an organization and the right jobs so that they're really considering in more depth who they are and how to line that up directly with specific things that the world needs over time. And so I kind of see this as a rough starting point in hopefully creating a much bigger conversation about how we can anchor people's work and efforts closer to contribution, not just I mean, right now it's kind of an economic transaction for financial gain. I hate to boil it down to that, but in most cases. Are there other ways that leaders can operationalize this new index and a website like Contribify.com in order to make sure that their teams are operating as effectively as possible and as meaningfully as possible? Yeah. You know, I think you touched on that and I hadn't thought about it enough. Um, If you look at those kind of three big buckets of you know, every team you have inside an organization needs to be thinking about what they're creating from a product and service standpoint. They need to think about how do they have better relationships with one another, and they need to think about are they operating and scaling and executing, getting things done. And if you start there, I, one thing I've noticed, especially among leadership teams, if you t- I'll pick on leaders for a minute, <laughs> they're usually under resource, to put it nicely, in the area of relate. And so most leadership teams do not have someone who is thinking about how do I energize members of this team? How do I make sure we stay connected? How do I make sure that we're looking out for what each person needs in order to keep growing and developing as an individual on this team? And, you know, I think maybe leadership teams just take it for granted more. One problem is that leadership teams are nowhere near as diverse as they should be, to be honest. And on average, women do that better than men. There's research on that. And so I think if leaders could think about how do you build teams with the right cognitive diversity, essentially, that they need to be functional and to thrive over time, that's a pretty good starting point. You mentioned earlier that you would love to open up a conversation around these profiles and really with the idea of helping people to find the right work and have the right impact. Is that the larger vision for what you're starting here? Yeah, I I mean, I would like for this to be a a 1.0 version of something that eventually helps people to build much more robust profiles of what they've contributed so they can they can feel good about that, they can identify with that. I mean, if you think about what people remember and recall and acknowledge and recognize at a memorial service, for example, nobody talks about the job titles you see on a resume or the functional things you did in your job or the number of social media followers you have or whatever it might be. People talk about 
those core roles that you play. They talk about the big life experiences you've had. They talk about what you've added to your community and your society. So how can we build that into the mainstream conversation that people have about the work that they're doing? I think I think in whether you use that contrivified profile or any other means, we need to kind of bring the humanity back into it because here's the here's the trick. When we bring the humanity back into the work that we're doing on a daily basis, then we start to see that if you're in food service and you're preparing a meal for someone, if you can acknowledge the satisfaction that gives to a customer while they're eating their meal, you make better quality food, you feel better about your work, you go home with more energy. Same thing applies when I see studies of radiologists, call centers, manufacturing environments. We have to bring that positive influence on a client, a customer, a community member back into the work that we're doing because it energizes us. We feel better about our work and we feel more connected to our community and to our environment. So I think it's a part of a process there. And eventually, long, long term, we've got to have better mechanisms for lining people up with jobs in the first place. Because what we're doing right now, I mean, I I think Match.com and Tinder are 10 times further along than most job matching sites. Mm. And we need better ways to do that. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing with us about this 1.0 version of hopefully what will be something that continues to iterate and expand and grow. Now, before we finish up today, is there anything that we didn't get to touch on yet that you think is important to bring up or something maybe that you would like to just remind us of that we've talked about in today's conversation? Yeah, I would just like to remind people, I think most of us do some pretty meaningful work every day when we show up. And I would encourage people to both for themselves, find ways to build reminders, whether that's a photograph or a testimony from someone or seeing the face of a customer that you've turned around, help bring a little bit more of that humanity into your daily routine so you can see why you do what you do. And most importantly, if other people look to you for leadership, help them to see how their daily work influences another person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it takes me back to that. I mean, if you ask yourself that question from Dr. King about um, what are you doing for others, if you ask that every morning, it aligns your energy towards another person. And it really takes a lot of pressure and stress off looking inward at yourself. And I think it makes your days more enjoyable and more meaningful in the process. Well, Tom, if people have connected with what you've shared today and are looking forward to finding out how they can contribute more effectively and more meaningfully to the world, where can people go and where can they go to find more about you and your work? Yeah, they can learn more about this uh, book and online program at contribify.com. Or they can find out more about any of the books that we've been talking about at TomRath.org. Tom, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been a great discussion. If you would like to see the 12 contributions to these three key buckets of create, relate, and operate, you can find them at the show notes at lifeasleadership.com slash 064. Once again, that's lifeasleadership.com slash 064. Now, here are my three key takeaways for the day. First, it's not enough to understand yourself. You also need to know how you can serve others and contribute to the world. If you are extremely clear on what your strengths are, if you understand yourself, if you know what numbers best describe you, but you aren't actually doing anything with that knowledge, what's the point? The second thing is connected to what the Contribify Index can help you do, and that is really the importance of understanding the best place on a team for each person based on their abilities, based on the rest of the team, and based on the need or goal. And I really like this idea because 
often we can just think, okay, this person has a certain personality type. That means they're going to be good in this area. And so that's where we need to stick them. But the truth is you're not always going to have all of the best personalities for all of the positions. And so the question is, based on who we have, based on each person's abilities, and based on the need and the goal, where does each person best fit? Because we need each of these three buckets of create, relate, and operate all filled up. So depending on who you are and who the rest of the people on the team are, you may fill different roles at different times. And finally, when leaders assemble their teams, the teams aren't always organized in complementary ways. And so this is for you, the leader. Make sure that when you are organizing your team, you're finding the best people to fill each of these buckets. Tom said in the interview that leaders often tend to be the weakest or the most under-resourced in the relate category. Make sure that when you're forming your team, you're not bringing a bunch of operators onto the team, but that you're finding people who can fill each of these buckets so that you can have the most well-rounded team, the most effective team to accomplish your goals. And as a side note, it might be interesting to think about right now, the team that you are leading or the people that are working under you as your direct reports, as your employees, who are the best people to be filling each of these roles? And have you organized your team so that each of these categories has someone working within it? That may seem like a tall order, but I think Tom has made a great case today for why that is so important. And I have some good news for you because Monday's interview is all about tapping into your creativity. And so I think these are going to be two really complimentary episodes. I hope you'll join us then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.